Here we go. The Earthbox Podcast. Welcome to the Earthbox Podcast. With 404. Missing link. Yeah, he's a great man, by the way. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And visit us at vox404.com. Enjoy the show. Do you think spelling is important? Yes. I'm going to say yes. I understand why most people believe spelling is important. But the, I mean, the last time I had to spell anything for a purpose was in elementary school where, where you had to like right, right. spell Thanksgiving. Capital T. And if you forgot the capital, well, then you spelled it wrong, right? You'd, you'd, you'd get marked down on your spelling test. Yeah. Did you ever do a spelling bee? I did actually do a spelling bee. <laughs> and wow. do, you want, do you want to know the word that I spelled wrong? Yeah. Attrition. And here's the thing. It was total Ooh, bullshit. It was total bullshit. I spelled it so fast that the judges didn't, the, the judges thought I spelled it wrong, but oh. I actually spelled it right. It was very controversial. Very Dude, controversial. You were like too smart for them. That's the problem. Because here's the thing. I, I went through, so we had the list of all of the words that they were going to ask us in the first, you know, whatever, the first level of competition. Right. And my mom made me, it was like she was Asian or something. She made me sit down at the table and study all of these spelling words. And I would get in trouble if I was lax on my studying of these spelling words. Like I wasn't going to embarrass this family. I had to sit down and learn all these words. So when the judges were like, spell attrition, I was like, boom, got this. A-T-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. And they said, they said that I spelled it A-T-T-R-I-T-I-T-I-O-N, which is patently oh. absurd. I had studied. I knew how to spell it. It didn't matter. They didn't give me another chance. I, I you know, whatever. I was wrong. I lost. That was it. It was over. And every single word. So then I stayed for the rest of the, the, you know, the ordeal. And every word that was asked to every other competitor, contestant, I knew how to spell. There was not a single word that I would have gotten wrong. Wow. And credit to my mother who made me study because, I mean, that was the, the, the reality of the situation is I was the best speller there. It was the judges that were too stupid. <laughs> but I don't know. But yeah. but really, maybe I did. Maybe I did screw up because I was overconfident. It it it's possible. I guess we'll never know. What about you? We'll did you know. ever we, do? A... I mean, we 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 do not get spelling bees here in the UK. I that is something that you see in, in movies or something or on in Facebook India or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We 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 don't get them out here, man. Um, I'm trying to think of like. Like what a typical sort of school spelling thing would be. It, mostly just tests and revision and, yeah. and just writing out a few things. I guess that you would have the same. But we never had like any like spelling competitions when I was growing up. Well, I think it's funny. You, you look at some, I mean, it comes up from time to time, right? Like you see somebody misspelled words. Like one of my favorites is uh, definitely. And people, oh, right, yeah. people so often, how do they spell it? Definitively. 
or 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 defiantly. That's the one I see the most often. Oh, really? Defiantly, yeah, yes. I defiantly knew the answer. Oh, uh, <laughs> you you defiantly knew the answer. Or you definitely knew the answer. Ah, who cares? And that's kind of why I bring it up because I think it's so interesting culturally that we place this emphasis on spelling when spelling is like it, it's the last part of community. It, it like spelling was latest to the communication party. All of our communications started out as sounds, you know, grunts and, uh, you know, whatever gestures. And then came much, much later came written language. But if you see somebody misspell a word in, in a document or even in a Twitter post, you go, Oh, this guy's, you know, he's got a 75 IQ. Why am I going to believe anything he says? But I don't think that's right. I don't think that spelling is an, is an accurate indication of, of your, your level of intelligence. Because when I really think about it, spelling is just kind of trivial and, and unimportant. I mean, do you agree if, if somebody that you were hiring if you were looking over a resume for, for a potential candidate and yep. you saw a misspelled word, like, like where do you draw the line? Like at what point does it start to affect your opinion of the person? If you misspell one word in your resume, I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm sorry, but, but uh, you know, unless it's handwritten, which is never uh, handwritten anymore. But if right. And if it was, if it was handwritten, would would that would that affect your opinion more? Than... It would, it would, because you don't have spell check on like handwritten stuff, right? But if you ah, send me fair. a resume and it has misspelled words in it and you haven't fixed it, like I'm sorry, but what does that say about your character if you can't if you can't even be bothered to do the spell check thing on Google Docs or Word, you know, whatever that is, then I, I'm not I'm not interested. Because if that carries into the code that you write. You know, that's going to affect my business. Big time. Um, right. You know, if you're misspelling, you know, code or doing the wrong process and I have to go in there and fix it, then why am I paying you money? Like, I got you in here to, 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 to take some load off. Uh, so, yeah, if someone's messing up spelling, and I think in a business context, if you have good spelling and good punctuation, that is very professional. It's not necessarily a, an intelligence thing, but it's just the way you present yourself to somebody else. Uh, and for me, I think that's, uh, that's really important. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room on something, but if you conduct yourself in a way and, and, and hold yourself in a way and you have good punctuated, good grammar and, um, and good spelling, then I know that you're going to be good at communicating and you're going to do what I believe I can fit you in uh, quite well. Those are more important than me than someone that has like giga autism or something in some specific, you know, like, you know, maths or whatever, but I can't communicate with them because they're completely unprofessional and they can't spell anything like that's just going to that's just going to irritate the shit out of me. I feel like punctuation is maybe more important than spelling in terms of of communicating. Because we do so much communication by text now, like yeah. I can get through a misspelled word. And I'm just talking day to day. I'm not talking for the people that that you hire. Right. But like right, the right. use of com like one of my favorite things to use 
And I, I have to constantly like Google how to correctly use a semicolon again. Uh, I, 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 I knew I, it. Fairly often, I, I'm like, am I, am I doing this right? Because there's a few different ways that you can use a, a semicolon, but just for the most yeah. part, like just bust, like throw some commas in there or something, oh, man. We, like, yeah, can, I know. A comma really does change a conversation. If you miss a comma out, like you can go, you can go from something that should be fairly, you know, innocent, something really, you know, nefarious. Uh, so yeah, please, if you're listening, use commas. It could save your life one day. Yeah, or, or something. Do something. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's a really, it, it's a very human characteristic of, of communicating, misspelling and, and mispunctuation. And that could actually be a really clever way for an artificial intelligence to fool a human being, couldn't it? Yeah, the mistakes that it makes. We're trying to, we're trying to convince uh, at, at, at a certain point, we'll be trying to convince uh, uh, an artificial intelligence that we are uh, capable human beings by our precision with spelling and punctuation and, and math and things like that, that, that really these systems are already doing for us. But for now, the effort is for an artificial intelligence to prove that it's human and there's definitely going to be this line you know the 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 Turing test mm, yeah where you have to believe that it's a human being but also you know you you can fall on either side of that line like not you're too perfect you're too accurate you must be a machine or you're too flawed you're too obviously uh, something is is amiss in your in your language model beyond spelling and punctuation. But your your business has just branched into new artificial intelligence things. You're becoming an expert. It's exciting. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we've been we've been using AI and ML to study the human condition for you know the past sort of five six years, um, and so we're really just branching out now to offer our services to my other customers rather than just using it internally. So I was actually speaking yesterday at Google um, about uh, artificial intelligence and what it means for developers, um, because one of the biggest things that people think about when they think of stuff like ChatGPT is the immediate erosion of a lot of people's jobs. And I was trying to convince these people that are smart people, very well, proud people. That's that's one of the things that it's been immediately most useful for is writing code, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of them are quite scared that, you know, their their value has been eroded. And to some degree, I would say, yes, like if you don't, use ChatGPT when you're coding or you continue to not improve yourself, then it would be unreasonable to think that uh, that you're just going to be safe from not even not even AI. Like there are lots of low and no code things like Squarespace and Wix, um, even stuff like WordPress, where if you want to make a website, you can make it fairly easily without knowing anything about code. You just, you know, drag and drop things onto the page. Um, and that's even without, you know, AI. So to some degree, I'm like, okay, guys, you got to get off your ass and like do something different 
um, you know, like like we're we're branching into the AI because it's it's becoming this new thing, and there's a there's a big market for it. And so I'm like, look, if you're a really good developer, you should be able to use AI in ways that other people can't, because you have that understanding of technology, uh, of building more complex applications. So you should be able to use it to leverage your ability and be better than other developers. So when you go to clients, you can say, I can do this two weeks faster. I can build this more complex with more features, that kind of thing. That's, that's what I wanted to get across to them. I hope that they, um, they were very interested after the talk, uh, talking to me and talking about the business and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I really hope that they, they jump on the train uh, because the world is going one way. And if you don't jump on as a developer, then I'm sorry, but like you're just going to be left behind. That that's just the reality. Like all my employees, I'm like, look, you need to be using this. You know, check the code, and it doesn't get it right all the time. But if it gets you 80 percent of the way there, then why are we not using it? Like we're just going to save a shitload of time. Well, there's and there's always been resistance to new technology, and and like one of the biggest areas for pushback has been, oh, what what's going to happen? With with all of our jobs, like the, with the self driving trucks, all I mean that yeah. that's like one of the largest sources of middle class income in the United States. It's truck drivers, you know, they can make hundred k a year, yeah, for sure. you know, just driving their truck back and forth. So we introduced this AI technology that you know enables self driving trucks. And everybody loses their mind. But, you know, like, so I've been playing uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. A amazing game. Um, maybe the most immersive game I've ever played. And it's in, you know, like 1890s, 1900s, Wild West, you know, post-Civil War America. So it's all, uh, you know, horse and buggy, you yeah. know horse shit all over the streets and and <laughs> and that was one of the things like that was becoming you know just before the invention of of you know the model a ford the accumulation of horse manure was a real problem but within two years i think was was the the statistic within two years of the invention of the you know internal combustion engine and a working automobile the horse and buggy was completely you know forgotten yeah. and and all of the people that <clears throat> i mean it wasn't the detriment to our economy i mean like imagine what imagine what life would be like if no one had invented an internal combustion engine yeah, for real. Imagine what life would be like then if there had been no horse and cattle on 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 the planet. What would what would the development of the human species have been like without those things? And it's it's a really interesting like I always you know because I I was raised evangelical Christian. I've kind of developed my own religious beliefs since then. But I always wondered if in, in, in the context of the evolution argument, 
which is sort of the kind of prevailing belief of, of how we arrived at this place in time biologically. Yeah. I wonder to myself, if, if evolution really is the thing, why did we evolve to be the most dependent species on the planet? Like, we're so soft and weak compared to our closest ancestors, as claimed by, you know, Charles Darwin. But we're hairless, we get cold, we're relatively weak. I mean, with, without our intellect to develop, you know, weapons and slings and, and things like that to, to protect ourselves, we would be doomed. And if you shut the power off, you know, 95% of us would be doomed because, I mean, not only have we sort of forgotten all of our survival abilities because of our dependence on electricity and, you know, natural gas heat, Etc. Yeah, for sure. We're also hopelessly vulnerable to other predators. So why, if if we're really evolved, I mean, what? Name another animal that has to wear clothes to keep warm. Name another animal that has to use tools, you know, to feed itself. And then I start thinking about what would we have done if we didn't have horses to pull plows? And I mean, on, on one hand, like a lot of the, you know, green party folks would probably say, hey, our, our planet would be in, in much better order because, of course, our population would be, God, what would our population even be? Well, without without these technological advancements i mean would it yeah. even be 25 percent of what it is but a lot of people say like the our evolution happened in our brains you know we invented fire and fire in, uh enabled us to cook our i mean we didn't invent fire but you know we we captured it we harnessed it you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i know what you, i know what you're saying so the ability to cook food meant that our 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 nutrient uptake in increased exponentially, yeah, which allowed our brains to grow large. And it's, it's a completely like, I'm on board with that theory. Like, like that sounds great. Sure. But how did we even survive long enough to get to that point? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. I, I mean, I know this has happened over thousands of years, right? So I can imagine the first humans would have been very different to what we are today. And over time, and not only not only the humans, but also the planet itself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been so many changes, and you can imagine now the kind of traits that are more most valuable uh, today is, you know, strength and intelligence. Those two. Well, and it comes uh, that, up that, a that, lot. That's, that's really what it is. Yeah, it, it, uh, it comes. Yeah, I'm, and as as our society, you know, further goes down that loop because we've already solved everything else. We don't need fur. We don't need nothing else. Okay. Um, then our society will continue to move in that way where we get smarter and we get stronger and we get smarter and we get stronger and we get start, start until we reach some sort of, I assume there's some level of upper limit um, um, to it. But I can imagine that's, that's probably why. I, I mean, I'd love to know 
if you went back, you know, 2000 years, do, do we look any different? Do we have more body hair? Do we have, you know, is the average IQ a bit lower? That kind of thing. One of the most ridiculous things that I heard, and you'll have to tell me what you think about this, because just for me, mm. from my layman's perspective on its surface, it sounds ridiculous. I heard, I've, I heard it explained that, you know, prehistoric man, Cro-Magnon man, whatever, you know, cavemen, however you want to say it, were, we, we were natural runners. And while we didn't have, like, the sprinting speed to catch a gazelle, we could run after it for so long that it would tire out and just lay down so that we could run up and kill it and eat it. Yeah, that's like 100% true. You think so? Absolutely. Hands down. I'm not you, saying... You look, you, look, you look at someone like Mo Farah, who, could, who, could, who can run like the marathon, which is 26 miles in, like, in, in just over two hours. I mean, there's no way a gazelle is, is going to run full, full pell for that long. And, and I, Mo I, will run after it and, and just eat it. I don't, I don't deny that it's possible. But I am skeptical that the survival of our species was dependent on that, uh, that set of skills. I oh, mean, yeah. if that was the case, I mean. There's no way. No, there's no way that it was dependent because the amount of energy expelled just to get that gazelle is, is just crazy. Well, yeah. And then what um, if you don't get it? I mean, I've never run a marathon yeah. before, but I have heard stories about how devastating it is to your body and like how long it takes to recover after something like that. And, and granted, I mean, if you had to run a marathon every other day, I'm sure that your body would be able to recover more quickly. But man, like you're going to have a hard time convincing me that that was really the way things were done. I mean, maybe, I mean, there, there had to be, of course, some level of discomfort to push the species in the direction that said, uh, no, break stones, make a sharp bit, put the sharp bit on the end of that stick and then you know that you can you can throw it or 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 fling it with another stick and a bit of thread and and that will allow you to kill these beasts without chasing them i mean how long do you think a gazelle could run un, uninterrupted 30 minutes uh you know i, I i'm not even sure you're but, not a uh, zoologist yeah. Damn it! I, you know, I, I don't even want to what answer that, bro. Pro probably, probably a long time, but you know, we're, you know, they're they're set up to run really fast for a short period of time to escape something like a lion or something like that, which they in turn try and run even faster for a short period of time and then give up. And then, you know, but these then, aren't as as runners. the running as the running caveman, like how would you even how would you find your way back? I mean, you've seen, of course, you know, the National Geographic gazelle running from the cheetah, and it weaves this way and zags that way and and you know is crisscrossing all across the savannah like would that just be okay i finally caught this gazelle i <laughs> guess this is my new home i better start digging a hole or something yeah yeah i i think for sure if you if you if you ran if you ran the best part of a few miles like 
it's going to be i i don't know and this is the thing about ai like i think people think that uh this is kind of close that ai could achieve the same level of overall dexterity and intelligence that, that humans have but the ability for us to take in that much data and process it pretty much instantly is so far away from where we are, are right now. Well, and the point I can't I can't even begin to tell you how far th- away we are. That's really kind of hitting the point on the head, right? Like we have been as a species developing ways to make our survival to to ensure our survival yeah. since we have existed as a species. I mean, I wonder what it was like for the caveman that would always run down the gazelle to meet the guy that the, the other caveman that invented the spear. Was he going, oh, yeah, cunt, and I'm now I've now I've lost my job running after the gazelles because you this guy comes along with his spears. Now I'm going to have to figure out I can't afford this spear because, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just spinning crazy hypotheticals. But why do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, I think, I think that's where you're getting on with, you know, AI replacing people's jobs, and it, it is a little bit brutal in, in some respect because that dude that has the spear, I mean, he's going to live longer than the guy that doesn't know how to make it or doesn't use it, you know, because he, he his ability to get food is just way better than anyone else's. Well, and we were, we would be so excited, you know, like th- the number of people complaining that their uh, horse ranching business is, is going to go under because Henry Ford has developed the Model A was probably far outweighed by the number of people that are going, holy shit, this is fucking awesome. Like, it's yeah. a horseless carriage. Imagine that. And then, of course, the, the growing pains of developing, I mean, and that was like, a, a, according to Elon Musk, this is one of Henry, Henry Ford's greatest accomplishments was not just inventing the the vehicle itself but also like the assembly line like how to put them together in in an efficient fashion to provide the supply for the demand so all of these horse ranchers and and wagon makers were able to go work in, in Henry Ford's factories, but I am having a hard time identifying what, because I don't know how to code and I've, I've yeah. tried to convince myself to, to crack a book and, and try to learn some of the basics because I mean it, in this day and age, it really is a valuable, you know, it, it's valuable information. And I, I feel like we should always be looking for ways to increase our value and kind of exploit our own, you know, the pros. Yeah. But I can't I think, even bring myself to crack a, a you know, a fiction novel or, or a book like <laughs> people giving me books all the time. I'm like, yeah, I love to read, but I just <laughs> it's hard. I mean, not the act of reading itself, but, you know, finding the time. You know, I'm a self-taught coder, uh, and I learned to code when I was 14, Python. Um, And I didn't use any books. Books suck for this kind of thing. Um, 
when you want to learn something yourself, especially coding, the best way to do it is pretty much just start doing it with a project. Just say, oh, I want to make a small website. And you just kind of go and Google, how do I do this? What platform should I use? And then you're off to the races. Oh, I can write, I can copy and paste this in here. Now you can use ChatGPT. Oh, how do I make this? How do I make this work? And then you start to understand it over time. Rather than going out and fucking finding a book and learning all the syntax of HTML and CSS, you know, that is like just super brutal. Whereas I find it's just a lot easier to just kind of learn as you as you do the project and you learn by necessity, you learn what you need to do to get your idea done. And that's where I think the real money is going to be in after this, you know, we get through this next year, which is which is going to be in, in the idea for a product, uh, not necessarily in, in the writing of the code, uh, because that's going to be pretty much done. I mean, we look at um, something like a GitHub Copilot. Now, GitHub is a giant platform for coders where they store their code as well as maintaining their code. So uh, if you want to create new code or save code or what you do is you call branching where you make a copy of all your code and then you can make changes safely in that environment. And then once it's finished, there's no bugs, then you can merge it back into like a production level code. And that has just come out with a copilot and you can have that copilot with you in your code editor and it will like autofill what you're trying to write. Uh, and it will also make suggestions on how to make your code better on the fly. Like this is just crazy. So you don't really need to know code anymore. What you need to do is come up with the problem or, or come up with the solution to it to an everyday problem or come up with an idea that solves something or solves something in your own life and from there then you can go and figure out the best way to do that that's where the money's going to be in because where we're at right now in our business is we're going into other businesses and going explain to us what your problem is and we'll solve it for you and that's where the money is the money isn't it isn't in like we already know what the problem is and you come in and code this for us. That's kind of going away because anyone can write code now and anyone can use ChatGPT to do, to do things for them. But we can go in there and go, okay, tell us what the problem is and we'll solve it for you. Or we'll figure out what the problem is and we'll solve it for you. That's where, it's, that's where the, the market is going. Um, and if you apply that to pretty much anything, like even something like writing for a movie, and I know a lot of the unions are very angry with this whole AI thing at the moment because they're... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 not particularly keen on AI writing films, um, but I think it's I I, I think there's, there might be a little bit of an, of an interesting one with this specifically, because code is very objective. You write it, or you don't write it, and if you write it one way, it works, and if you write it a different way, uh, it, it doesn't work. It's very 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 objective, but something like writing a screenplay now that is so subjective. Um, and ChatGPT could write a good movie, it could write a bad movie, or it could write a perfectly fine movie. And that's, the, and that's really interesting to me, that subjective part of it. And a plus on top of that is there might be a small cottage industry where you charge a premium for human written works of art or human drawn works of art. Well, and I've heard that where, said also uh, in, in, the, in this the context of this same sort of discussion, yeah, the value will be moving forward exactly what you say. 
Yeah. Oh, this was this was created by humans almost in the in the same vein of of, you know, like like today's marketing for handmade. Oh, this is handmade. Hand. Yeah, absolutely. Because AI, you know, one of the things that people are constantly going on about is like, wow, the productivity is going to be so crazy because of AI and everyone's GDP per capita is going to go up and stuff like that. And and while that is true to some extent. You have to remember whenever there's something like a new tool, like a car or something that radically changes the environment, like the iPhone, like a smartphone, for example, there's two things. First of all, yeah, sure, it makes you more productive. But if it makes everything productive at the same time, that also in turn creates a deflationary effect on the work that you're doing. Because if everyone's offering that kind of service, and if the value of that writing goes down because it's been written by AI, then surely the price of those things goes down, and therefore GDP doesn't grow as much as people think it does. Because ultimately, you're making something more efficient, and it ends up being cheaper to produce because people are using AI. So there's two, there's really two aspects of it. And I, and I wonder to what degree will people become desensitized to some content because they're like, yeah, it's kind of impressive, but it was written by, it was completely coded by AI. So, well, that's, you know, and I'm that's where really... I'm, that's where I'm at. Like with, uh, like with, with, uh, podcast ads now, like I've, I've recently heard an ad for, uh, some new Dragon Ball Z mobile game. And I can tell just by listening. I mean, maybe it's due to my experience in the industry or whatever. Yeah. But I can tell when I'm listening to this voiceover about whatever product they're trying to sell to me, like, oh, this is an AI, you know, like, like what it, it's an AI voiceover, what, whatever you yeah. would call it. There's yeah. probably a better, a better technical yeah, like te- term. Text to speech, I think probably something like that, like some deep fake. And there's a lot, I mean. So I mean that stuff's really great. I mean we use it on the the intro to this show. It it's extremely useful. But for things like I mean we know that AI makes pictures now. Like it was uh yeah. It was it was freaking hilarious when uh the indictments for Donald Trump were coming down. You could <laughs> you could go into Google and search uh Donald Trump arrest, click on your images tab and boom, there's, you know, a, a handful of pictures of, of Trump resisting arrest. And it, it, you know, it had all the, all the, the obvious hallmarks of, of an AI generated photo, but then you hear, oh, AI can also make entire songs. There was a, a, a Drake song that came out and I think there was even like a feature artist on there. That was just sort of quietly pushed out like, oh, a new Drake song. And everybody was freaking out. And then it was later revealed, oh, this is actually, this was actually created entirely by artificial intelligence. But for things like problem solving, and I I don't mean problem solving in, you know, the, the most base sort of classification. But for things like you were describing that your business is engaged in, like identifying problems and or coming up with new ideas because writing, because a screenplay isn't a new idea. You can tell, as you said, chat GPT, hey, write me a screenplay or um, I, I forget the name of the, the AI that, that makes the, the pictures on demand, but uh, the same uh, thing, Dolly. a picture, not a new idea. Yeah. But for things like uh oh i don't know an internal combustion engine 
how far are we from an artificial intelligence being able to identify problems and create innovative solutions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're, we're quite far away from that. And it's mostly a data problem. Like if you think about it, you know, the AI only knows what it knows. Um, so in the case of Tesla, you know, it has lots of sensors on the outside of the car so it can do the, you know, machine learning on, you know, how far away it is from the car in front, etc. And, you know, if you take that logic, you'd have to apply it to basically everything. You know, if you want to replace a mechanic, let's say. First of all, let's get past the fact that you need to create like a robot style mechanic. Okay, because that's in a whole nother thing. <laughs> but second of all, you have to have something that has sensors good enough to take in the sound and the vibration and, you know, wetness and, uh, you know, heat and uh, the LIDAR and the light itself um, and accurately process that in real time. And then on top of that, come up with solutions and make some kind of guesstimation solution that it knows how to fix that, that particular thing. Now, that is a data set that is just ginormous, absolutely ginormous, far bigger than anything we have today. And if you look at something like ChatGPT4, which is a large language model, and by large, I mean it's fucking ginormous. And that's the it latest one, huge, right? Number yes. four. Yeah, and it is fantastic, but fuck me, that is a massive model. And it, it, it takes base, almost all of Microsoft's servers to run that thing. I mean, it's ginormous. And that's just for a language model, right? You try and apply that to something where it's got to do that bit, okay, the sort of like processing bit. It has to have all that knowledge of all the mechanic stuff, which is fine. But then it has to process that data in real time um, with all these other sensors and stuff like that, it's going to be huge. And there's no way you're going to fit that in something that small on like a, on like a single, single object. It's, for me, this AI thing is, is mostly constrained by um, the data set size that you can physically put into something, as well as the hardware itself. Like it, everyone's doing this race now to do large language models or even other models, right? There, there are other models that... Um, do things that aren't to do with, with language, you know, mathematical models, uh, real-time trading uh, models, weather models, all sorts of stuff. Even the models that Tesla's use, right, you know, for, for doing self-driving, um, image models like DALI, uh, TensorFlow that I use at home to do my, my image um, tagging and stuff like that. There are, plenty of, there are plenty of models, and everyone's doing this at the same time, so there's going to be a massive rush, again, for chips, unfortunately. So if you're a gamer out there and you're looking for a GPU, I'm sorry, but that, that's going to be brutal. really expensive, really <laughs> brutal coming up. Because at the moment, we don't have uh, like any I, – I assume this is where it will go. For the for the short to midterm, but unfortunately, we don't have anything that isn't like um, a general purpose, uh, you know, unit like a GPU, right? So they just they use these GPUs to run the models themselves, but they're general processors, right? Which are good for stuff like gaming, and they're good for computers, and they're good for service and general workloads. But um, for you for using them with AI, they're kind of like a giant hammer for a really small nail sometimes. And mm. I think where the industry is probably going to go is we're probably going to see some specific you know chips coming out, specific cards that accelerate maybe one specific model that might be you know um, face uh, you know Meta Llama or GPT four or GPT three point five or something like that that comes out. 
And there was a company that was bought by Intel that's that's going down this road. And I imagine that's where it's going to go because this is a hardware problem. If you took all the GPUs in the world right now, it's still not going to be enough for the kind of demand that we're seeing in the next year to not only build new models, uh, but run the models that we have today just for the amount of people that want to use them. You know, this this whole end user thing where the barrier to use AI has been significantly lowered to where people like me and you can use it and not some data scientist, you know, in a bank or someone at the weather office, you know, crunching numbers and trying to predict the future. This is just crazy. You've massively magnified how many people are going to be using this service. And um, so in that degree, I think if, you know, if I, if I wanted to like invest some money, I, anyone that's going to, you know, solve this hardware problem that's going to either save power on the amount of computations per second, which is huge. Because if you think about it, like to run something like GPT-4, I mean, you're talking data centers, like huge, massive football field size data centers, just hundreds of them stacked next to each other. So if you can save like 5% power on that, I mean, you're a millionaire straight away. Well, and that's one Uh, of the interesting parts about uh, like uh, crypto mining. It was quickly established yeah. like especially in in the countries where where crypto mining is a huge thing it became immediately apparent that the most expensive part of mining crypto wasn't all of the uh you know like the the computing power that you need to do it uh, efficiently but the actual energy that goes into operating all of those machines yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, really, it is a hardware problem. We can write as much software and, and have AI generate itself and generate itself better. But in terms of the hardware to even do this, I mean, this is the biggest roadblock that we have as a society, um, as well as the obvious roadblock that, that, that you're kind of touching on, which is, do we even have the power for this? You know, we've got two major things that are happening in the Western world, which is the moving to electric cars, um, which is a massive drain on the power network. And now we've got the sort of AI boom where not only is everyone moving stuff to the cloud, which is fairly, you know, whatever, but now we're having to do seriously high-end computation 24-7 across huge data centers. Um, and that's going to take up shitloads of power, <laughs> huge amounts of power. So, so where, where does quantum computing fit into all of this? So quantum computing is really interesting. Um, I was talking about it a little bit yesterday because I believe... The rumor is, I don't want to speculate, but I will speculate anyways. <laughs> you know how OpenAI had this whole blow up uh, with, oh, the board, with the board of directors and everything, and right, Adam got and, and Elon, yeah, right. So the rumor is that I think is that they were developing something called QSTAR, which is some sort of AI model matched with a quantum computer. And the way a quantum computer works is very different to a regular computer. So a regular computer just uses binary, one and zero. You know, it's a, it's a very much like if you just stack ones and zeros next to each other, and then that's the, that's the code for like the letter A. And then you turn it um, green and you've got the matrix. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, you know, one is, 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 you know, five volts and zero is, 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 is zero volts. But in a quantum computer, it's very different. In a quantum computer, it can be both one and zero at the same time. 
which is hard to get your head around. Yeah. It's hard for me to get my head around. But it has to do with the fact that um, when you go to a quantum level in, in physics, things start to become stateless. Uh, and things start to become... Uh, you start to you start to have things where it calculates things all at once rather than after a series of events and the problem with that is that quantum computers can um work out large prime numbers extremely quickly from factorizing because it doesn't have the constraint of only using ones and zeros and that's a problem because most encryption actually all encryption is developed by using large prime numbers that can't be broken down by normal computers as a cryptographic key. And so if the quantum computer can do that, essentially what you're doing is you're breaking all of the encryption for everything uh, that we use today on the internet. That's, you know, WhatsApp end-to-end encryption, that's Telegram, that's SSL, that's SSH, that's everything. Everything you can think of, your banking, you know, it could be completely cracked uh, using our quantum computer. And so uh, the rumor is, is that they had developed something that technically could be used to break encryption at a public level, which I can understand is a problem because you don't want that out there, you know, in the middle of, in the middle of the public where people can just basically just crack someone's um, encryption code for their banking and sit in the middle and then siphon out all their money. That's, that's, that's where, you know, quantum computers are fitting in here um, as in, into the AI race. Uh, and one of the issues around it is difficult because you can't have quantum computing um, like safe encryption without having your own quantum computer on your own device. So, so like, it's kind of like it, they, they've invented a language that no one else knows how to speak. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Like, pretty much. Like, you know, if you, if you don't have a quantum computer, like, in your phone, uh, then there's no way you can encrypt with another quantum computer. But the quantum computer can, can do both. It can, it, you know, it can function like a regular computer and it can function like, like its own. Um, so it's, it, it, it's like one of those things where, you could pair a quantum computer with another large network and use the quantum computer to break the encryption and then offload the rest of the workload on passing the data and processing it very very effectively. Um, and it's not something that can be emulated either. You can't emulate a quantum computer with a regular one. So it's not like you could kind of get around it. There is no getting around it. Like, And are, are, there, that, that, are there like, I mean, I'm sure there's space constraints as well like you know you've seen the pictures of early computers that are you know oh, yeah the size of of a you know one one whole floor of a, a commercial office building and now yeah, we, and that's we all carry them around in our pockets yeah and, that, and that's kind of that's kind of the problem with it as well like you know if it was as easy to say oh we'll just put a quantum chip on every phone and device from now on and it'd be all good but the quantum computers from a company like D-Wave. D-Wave makes uh, one of the best in the world in Canada, in Vancouver. And shout out their D-Wave. quantum computer. Yeah, yeah. Shout out D-Wave. Uh, great company. Um, their quantum computer is the size of about two fridges. 
Damn. Yeah. And that's for a very good reason, which is to function, they have to cool the chip down itself to, I think, about a minus 176 Celsius. I might be wrong on that number, but it's very, very low because the metal that they use for the chip itself goes into a quantum state at that low temperature. So it has to be cooled down. So wow. it's that's and this is the problem about it. Like if you break it, if someone's you know got enough money and enough you know intel to to break your encryption, there's no way you can protect yourself because it, you know you don't have twenty odd million to buy your own quantum computer and somehow stick it on the back of your phone and have enough power to power it and have enough liquid nitrogen. So it's um it's kind of it's kind of an issue that is the rumor anyways i could be and i want to preface this i could be completely and utterly wrong um and that you know it could be something dif different like maybe they think that they created um you know general ai or something or something at open ai started speaking back to them or using its own language or something like that that that's that's been a kill switch for other companies um like Google had that similar thing where two AIs talked to each other and then they created their own language. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't understand it anymore. So and they were like, oh, like we better shut this off. Be. <laughs> this is getting bad. We better like, oh, yeah, don't, for sure. don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because that, that's one of the problems with, with AI is that um, as you want it to get better, you know, if you do like a reinforcement learning human factor, which is basically where you do reinforcement learning and you assign the AI uh, some, uh, you know, token or something that says, yes, you're doing a good job or yes, you've completed this task and you assign it, uh, you know, uh, punishments where you say, no, don't do this, don't do that. And then you have the human factor where you can influence on the fly, which is good and which is bad. So if you have if you have something like uh and i've lost my train of thought completely no oh, quite all right this it happens to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> i have completely lost what i was talking about uh, what i what i have a hard time okay because google didn't what i'm seeing here online is that it, about 4 years ago google yeah. announced that it had mastered quantum computing ah uh, yeah okay now I, i'm i'm back on track with the google thing okay so yes. with with a with a model like that with an rlhf model um you want it to get better and better and better but you need to make sure that there are good checks and balances so you know what it's doing so you can measure it you can measure if it's doing good things or bad things but if you have it at a at a q level or a q depth you know like do q learning or something like that quantum learning you know it could it starts to improve itself and improve itself and improve itself to the point where you might not be able to measure it anymore because in the way that it's improved itself, it may have improved itself in a way that you're not measuring. You're not looking mm. for that specific way that it's, that it's improved itself. A good example of this, uh, if I can kind of explain it in a metaphor, is like, let's say you are driving a Tesla and it's going straight straight down the road and you're measuring for how close it is to the lines and you're measuring how fast it reacts to something um but your and your target your thing is okay i want this model to get the car to this uh distance 
behind the car and this distance from the line. And it will do everything it can to be closer and be closer and be closer and be closer and be closer. But maybe you're not measuring the energy that it's taking to do that. And it might have found a way to get close to the line, but use the throttle in a weird way to get to get that close. And you're not measuring that. And from there, you don't know to shut it down. That's the thing. You don't know that it's doing something wrong because you've not thought to measure that. So that's the problem that they have at Google quite often. And that's why when they go to these like hearings, these Congress hearings, and they go, well, we don't know how the fucking algorithm works. It's because, well, it's kind of designed to do that. It's kind of designed to get better and get better and get better and get better and not really have any trace trace back. Um, it just kind of learns to learn you and then shows you things at a best guess. There, there is no sort of like if then then that like you would have it a normal algorithm where you set it's kind of like if this happens if you click on this then it shows you that there is no there is no that anymore it's if you click on this we'll do some uh calculations in the background you know like neural stuff to figure out what we think is mm. going to be the best thing for you and if you click on it then that's great. That functions back into our model again. If you don't click on it, that also functions back into our model, and we'll show you something different next time. So it's it's a, more of a guess thing. And and I I heard that Google mastered um, quantum computing. I mean, I don't really know if you can master something that's still highly th theoretical. Um, highly theoretical. That's like saying you've mastered string theory or you've mastered space travel. You know. It, it's not we don't still know how those fucking things work well it's, uh, it, in in my opinion on on one hand it's it's the sensation right it it creates the headline and on the other hand or or you know whatever in addition what is that measured against you've yeah. mastered quantum computing okay well yeah, that, yeah. i mean it's this is a new horizon this is this is the the new frontier you will every day you will master quantum computing because every day you've gotten a little bit better. And this is kind of what makes me skeptical about the truth of robotics and artificial intelligence, because we've seen these videos coming out of Boston dynamics of the robotic yeah. dog that you can't knock over and the, the robotic humanoid that can, jump up on crates and do somersaults and operate a rifle. And these videos are 10 years old. Now, maybe they're fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm, I can totally buy into that. And in fact, I think it was even proven that some robot videos that we were being showed just had a, you know, pirated Boston Dynamics badge on them. And it was all just, you know, CGI. Meant, meant right. to fool us into thinking that, ah, oh, there are armies of, of robots. But we, we are entering this age where increasingly corporations have more and more control, but also they have more and more invested interest in the operations of the world beyond just governments you know what what the people are doing yeah. where they're going to work where are they living you know all of these things they they have an invested interest in in all of this data and this kind of ties a little bit into what i was talking about last week and and over the last weeks is if we didn't have a government 
if suddenly the federal government collapsed, we would still have all of these mega corporations that want to continue doing business. They want to maintain yeah, their consumers and they, they want to maintain their infrastructure. And I believe that they would do all of this on their own if for no other reason than they're just forced to because suddenly no one else is going to do it. But yeah, I, I, mean, wonder- I, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, I think the biggest hurdle for a lot of the robotics companies, you know, to get to a point where they're better than humans at everything is going to be the self reproduction thing. Uh, that's something that humans do exceptionally well, you know, our cells and our entire <laughs> beings, we can, we can reproduce with like basically nothing. You just, you just add water and food and we can just grow a fucking new one, you know, yeah. robots and it's fun need, and it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's the best shit ever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, literally it's like top three at least. It, 100%. There's like, yeah, I, I think, I think it does go uh, top three and number one, maybe Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two, Red five. Dead Redemption two. Yeah, that's right. And then it's <laughs> and then it's uh, reproduction at, at number three for sh- for sure. <laughs> I love that, but I think that's I think that's the biggest hurdle that, that they've got. Uh, and the silicon stack, you know, for robots is just, you know, I don't even know if it's even a hundred years away. It just seems so so far away. You know, no one has even attempted to do anything close to what the human body can do in terms of like robotic reproduction or something like that um so you know any sort of like major uprising you know let's let's say there's a there's an uprising uh you know if the robots or something uh they'd have to have you know huge matrix style uh factories power generation complete and utter yeah. you know self self sufficiency and self-reliance uh while somehow us not fucking blowing that shit up before they get to that point so um it's an interesting it's an interesting time it would be hard to keep to keep quiet right like i always you know when uh when it was coming out that mark zuckerberg and and his uh you know affiliations were investing like $400 million into the state of Arizona for election fortification. And, you know, his, his ties to China and he's this massive business mogul. And then he also has uh, alleged connections to, you know, central intelligence and, and things like that. I, I just thought to myself, he must have Mark Zuckerberg must have a robot army. Like, like what is the government going to take Mark Zuckerberg down? I think wasn't, he was like subpoenaed. I I think he was subpoenaed by the Canadian government for something related to algorithms and meta and, and, you know, et cetera. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And he was just like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not coming (laughs) to talk to your stupid court. Like I'm not like, yeah, I will dispatch my robot army. Like, what is Canada going to do, though? They're going to do fuck all, bro. They're not going to do exactly. anything. Exactly. And that's, and that's why, I mean, I, I, you know, props to Mark Zuckerberg. I think uh, most people could use a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of Mark Zuckerberg hubris. And I am inclined yeah, I, to believe that artificial intelligence isn't as far along as we would like it to be. And robotics technology is not as far along. And nowhere near as we would like it to be. But then I see somebody like George Santos 
Okay. Here and we I go. think that guy is not a real person. <laughs> oh, you think he's an android of some kind? Well, either that he's so he's either an android or he's uh um you know he's in the Italian mafia or or something. Right. I, I don't think right, he's right. even like a skinwalker type deal. Because, dude, nothing that guy has said is literally. I mean, I have this article, and it starts out. So it's it's from the uh, it, New York Mag under the intelligencer tab or whatever. So so grain of salt for sure. But it's it's actually hilarious. Like once you get through, so the the headline is here's every single lie told by George Santos. And the first few are his uh like campaign finance violations that he's, you know, he's under investigation. And and nothing has been, I mean, he's been expelled from Congress and I and I have a real back and forth conversation with myself about the legitimacy of, of this whole thing. So when, when Donald Trump got elected in 2016, it was an avalanche of investigations for his, basically his entire presidency. And I found myself getting really frustrated and thinking, okay, we need these politicians to announce their candidacy two years before the election. And then they have to be willing to open themselves up to all of this investigation so that if anything, if they have any skeletons in their closet, it's all revealed by the time the voters go to the polls. And we know all of the truths of their business dealings. Now, granted, campaign finance things can't really happen without campaign donations. But these other crazy things like uh, just scrolling through this article, he allegedly lied to collect unemployment benefits in, in June 2020 while he was making a salary of $120,000. Okay, first off, if you're giving this guy unemployment benefits, I mean, if he's truly employed as a regional, this is from the article, as a regional director of a Florida-based investment firm earning an annual salary of around 120K. If that's the truth, and you gave that guy unemployment benefits, I mean, whose fault is that really? We, we have a severe problem with, with oversight and checks and balances for things like that. Yeah. But he still lied about it. He yeah. allegedly committed identity theft. He allegedly lied to Congress. All House candidates are required to file financial disclosure forms that give a full accounting of their assets, income, and liabilities, among other information. Prosecutors say that while Santos certified that his disclosures were, quote, true, complete, and correct, the statements he filed in May 2020 and September 2022 were riddled with inaccuracies. And this is why I think we need to start vetting these people long before it's time to vote them in, and certainly long before they actually take office. He reimbursed himself for loans he did not make. He lied about where he went to high school. He lied about where he went to college. He lied about where he worked after the fact. His campaign bio states he worked at Goldman Sachs and Citigroup, but representatives for both companies told the Times they had no record of his employment. 
The lies weren't that hard to figure out. Santos said he worked in City's real estate wing in the 2010s, though the bank sold off its asset management corporations when he was in high school. After Santos was sworn into Congress, the Times obtained a copy of his inflated resume, claiming that he graduated in the top 1% of his class at Baruch, earned an MBA at NYU, and was able to double the revenue on the project he worked on at Goldman. And then there's a, a tweet linking to his resume. Now, this guy's obviously a horrible liar. But I, unfortunately, my understanding of, of constitutional law tells me that the only way that he can be expelled from Congress is from disorderly conduct. Now, sure, there's a lot of ways that you can spin these lies into disorderly conduct. But I really struggle with the legality of his expulsion when obviously the voters, allegedly, if you believe in the integrity of elections, which I'm also on the fence about, the voters elected George Santos. But the voters elected George Santos based on the lies he told during his campaign. Yeah, I think that's the argument here. Like, would the same people vote him in now knowing what they know? But if that's, okay, if that's the standard we're going to apply, why aren't we impeaching and removing Joe Biden? Why aren't we impeaching and removing Jamal Bowman? You know, the, the Democratic congressman that pulled the fire alarm uh, before the, you know, a, a, a congressional vote. That is yeah, the definition of disorderly conduct. Yeah, and to, and to your point, I guess that's for the next election in which people would get to vote again on George Santos then, right? And the other part of it is yeah. that George Santos, uh, he, he, he didn't participate in any disorderly conduct. And none of these alleged uh, uh, campaign finance viola uh, violations have been adjudicated in any kind of court. Now, this conversation comes up a lot with the stuff that's going on with Donald Trump. A lot of people are saying, you know, from from both political persuasions. A lot of people are saying, why not just let the voters decide these these cases are going to take forever to prepare. Um, a lot of legal experts are saying there's no way that that a just trial could commence prior to November 2024, when the election is going to take place, it would be much better for justice and for the sanity of the country to just let this election take place and let the voters decide and let the media present the evidence. And it sounds great. Except for that the media is a pack of liars and it's clear that their politics skews drastically in one direction. And if we allowed the media to create the, the narrative on the story, of course, everyone would believe that, that Donald Trump was guilty and is a horrible bastard and, and should be executed. 
But I just don't know if we should be looking at the crimes of George Santos and making our opinions and then holding a vote to expel him. I mean, the vote has taken place. George Santos is gone. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I like our system better. Because if, we, if the MPs here in the UK decide they want to get rid of another MP, or they've decided that their conduct has constituted a, a, a thing that kind of uh, challenges their, their ability to be an MP anymore, what it goes to is a recall petition. And that is a sort of local petition where you ask the local voters, do you want to vote again on this guy? And if they say no, then the guy just stays. And if, but if the local people say yes, then they do another election in that local constituency um, where he can run again, of course. And, th- and that's uh, one of the things that bothers me about this, because you're 100% right. That is what should be done. That is justice, yeah, right. in my opinion. But instead, what's yeah, going to happen? The, yeah. Go. No, no, I, I, I was just going to say, yeah, because at the end of the day, like the people get to have a say-so on whether they feel like it's important to even vote again, and they get to vote again. And they get to vote again knowing the truth, knowing that right. George Santos is, is a fake person. But instead, what's going to happen is the, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, who uh, was actually, I, I was about to say no one voted for, but it, that's actually not true. She did win a, a re-election. Um, she gets to appoint a congressperson now. So the, the, it, it's been taken completely out of the voters' hands and handed to a governor that wasn't even, I mean, I don't know, my 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 faith in the integrity of elections is shit. So we can say, I mean, Kathy Hochul became the governor when the, the governor at the time, uh, Andrew Cuomo, a uh, horrible murderous bastard who uh, put the elderly back into their, their, you know, care facilities while COVID was wreaking havoc on them. Ca- you know, cost the lives of, thousands of of elderly folks who i mean uh, just for the sake of argument and and being real the the people it, it, it's been said when people check into hospice care homes they're not expected to live any any more than 18 months right that still doesn't excuse what he did so he was, and he wasn't even removed from office for these things. He was removed from office for, I don't know, patting a police officer on the ass in the elevator or something like that. Nevertheless, he was dismissed or he, he may have resigned and Kathy Hochul replaced him. That was how she rose to power. Uh, I see. And uh, despite her terrible policies, she was reelected as the governor. And now gets to appoint a new congressman from Long Island. Now, maybe this was the plan all along. I don't know. I I don't know how George Santos could think that he was going to get away with this kind of thing. And, 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 And another wrinkle to the story is that he allegedly was uh, uh, you know, a MAGA supporter and an America first 
congressman. But that doesn't match up with the fact that he's a terrible liar. I mean, most of these people, most of the people that are, have already been elected to office or want to run for office that claim to be, you know, Trump endorsing, make America great again, America first politicians, they're honest to a fault. They're, they're deeply religious. They believe in doing things the right way as opposed to the other side, which seemingly only believes in doing things to gain more power for themselves. This is who George Santos resembles to me. Mm-hmm. He's willing to say and do anything to gather power for himself. Which means he could conceivably, deceptively, try to ingratiate himself to the America First voters by telling all of these lies. But then what does he do when he gets to office? And this is why we need to be vetting these people well in advance of, of the actual vote that will take place. Which means, simply, all you have to do is require that once the election has ended, all future candidates at that time should be announcing their candidacy for the next election. Which means all of the people that lost can then announce their candidacy. Oh, okay, I'm going to run again in two years. Because that's, I mean, the elections are for, for Congress people are every two years, which is ludicrous on its face. Especially with the amount of time that politicians have to spend fundraising. Yeah. I do believe in term limits, but holding an election every two years seems overkill. But I just don't know how to feel about the, the steps that were taken to get rid of George Santos. There has been no trial. There was light debate on the floor. And Mike Johnson, our, our new Speaker of the House, even said that he was skeptical about holding this vote. But he did. And uh, alarmingly enough, a hundred some odd Republican congressmen voted with the Democrats to expel George Santos in something like, it was 300 something to 100 something. Not, I mean, not even close. He wow. was. Okay. That's a crazy majority. Yeah. Yeah, big time majority. And this is what makes me think, like somebody figured out that he wasn't a real person, whether, whether literally or figuratively. Yeah, I mean, at this point in time, the Republicans aren't going to get rid of one of their own before an election happens next year that they truly believe is going to be an asset to them. Right, he must have been, he must have proven himself behind closed doors to be a liability. And that's why I think, I mean, it, it it is much more believable. I mean, I jest that he was some sort of AI robot. But I uh, think it, it could be very likely that he was actually mobbed up. And, and this whole persona was created for him, if for no other reason than to just see if they could do it. Like, ah, yeah, we made this whole backstory. Or, or maybe he was intelligence. But if that was the case, how did they expose all of the lies? Like, it's, it's so perplexing. I think possibly what George Santos was banking on is the fact that once he was in, it didn't really matter. 
<laughs> but I think, I, yeah, you know, but I think obviously it did matter. And now they've got rid of him, which is unprecedented. But maybe he believed, well, this is unprecedented. And like, no one's going to get rid of me once I'm in. Uh, so maybe he was just like, I don't, I just don't care. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it makes it even more curious because why did they care? I mean, show me a politician that isn't a lying, corrupt bastard. I mean, even, I mean, there's, there's a handful maybe, but who's taking a close look at him? Why, why George Santos? What, I mean, is it because his lies were so blatant? Is it because they were so easily disproven? Yeah, I mean, there's probably many factors to it. Like, if these lies come out and they're quite damning, what does it say about the Republican Party if they keep them on? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they, they, they had to hold this vote. And, and this is, I mean, it's another interesting aspect of the story. Mike Johnson said he was skeptical about holding the vote, but he held the vote anyway. Yeah. So what is his, and, and now they're down a Republican congressman. They're, they're, the Republicans will still hold the majority, but it's now down one, and, and the new Democrat congressman will be appointed. And even though, you know, the, the, the standard for you know, voting on legislation and things like supermajorities have has really been sort of legislated away. It's a, so a, a lot of things are coming down to just you know fifty one forty nine decision. Unfortunately, it's not you know it it's unconstitutional. It's not the way that uh, the founding fathers intended for legislation to be passed. But it's not that impactful. Why not let a trial proceed? Why not let the voters decide in, in the next election, which is only a year away? But I think I have the answer. I Let's think behind closed doors, the discussion was more about Joe Biden and less about George Santos. Yeah, I see. Okay. I think there was some sort of exchange made behind closed doors to say, you hold the vote on George Santos and will vote on impeachment proceedings for Joe Biden. And if that's the case, then I feel a lot less upset about the miscarriage of justice that is expelling George Santos because he was a lying, rotten bastard. That's, I mean, he, and, and then he goes on Pierce Morgan and says, yeah, I lied horribly, which is probably the best interview he's done since, you know, he, since he took office. But this is now coming down. Joe Biden, there, there will be an impeachment vote on Joe Biden. Unfortunately, that's another I mean, it's it's all just posturing. Because yeah, the Senate is even more corrupt than the House. There are fewer American politicians in the Senate than there are in the even the the hundred and thirteen people that voted not to expel George Santos. So we can waste our time 
and go through all of these Joe Biden impeachment proceedings. But when it comes to actual action in the Senate, nothing will happen. Because in my opinion, Joe Biden was installed to basically, I mean, I've I've developed this theory and it'll be a fun way to take us out because I want to know what you think about this. Yeah, sure. Let's go. We know that inflation is out of control across the world, but we have like anti-gouging laws in, in this country. And I, I would imagine similar things in, in yeah. Britain. This is actually one of the arguments in favor of Brexit. But I feel like as sort of a, this is the, the theory that I've just developed most recently. Joe Biden and his handlers and any number of other people agreed with the corporate overlords, the corporate interests. I mean, they're the ones, in my opinion, that really run the planet. He told them, you guys go along with this COVID theater and For the next four years, you'll have carte blanche for the way that you do business. You can charge whatever you want. We'll help you cover it up and say it's in the name of inflation. You continue to donate to our political campaigns, and we will let you bleed the public dry by raising your prices to whatever level you deem fit. And this, and I, I, I got into this theory by thinking about the concept of supply and demand and, and how really bullshit it is for the consumer, especially with things like it was under the context of the price of diesel. And I was thinking about this. Uh, this actually came to mind because I was thinking of you on your travels across Europe that you just recently yeah. concluded. Diesel requires less processing than gasoline. It does. Which means that on its face, diesel should be less expensive than gasoline. However, it's more expensive by a pretty great margin. Yep. And in my research, I've learned that the reason diesel is so much more expensive is because of demand. Now, I'm not in favor of government regulation, and there's really no solution to this problem that irritates me. But if diesel is cheaper to make, shouldn't it also be cheaper to buy regardless of demand? Uh, yeah, it should be. Uh, but there's so many market factors as well. The fact that exactly. The, exactly. The fact that diesel is better mile per gallon than petrol factors in huge amounts. One of the yeah. things that got me uppity is the, so, you know, I live in a small town. The gas stations in the immediate area are all owned by the same guy. And oh, really? And the gas prices in, these, in, in this immediate area that this guy owns, the price per gallon is 30 cents more expensive per gallon than the next nearest gas station that he doesn't own. And so I'm thinking this son of a bitch is gouging us. And I've thought about complaining because they have like, like price gouging reporting websites. 
and I've and I've been surprised that nobody has actually, you know, reported him and, and called him out on it. And I thought, well, maybe they have, but no one has done anything. Because nobody cares about this little old random podunk town where all of the gas stations are owned by this Indian guy who's just kind of gouging people for another 30 cents a gallon. And I thought, well, what a clever way to manipulate these businesses into supporting your political aspirations to say, hey, I know we have these price gouging rules and reporting systems, but if you support me, I'll make sure none of these reports are ever acted upon. I mean, that would be a pretty good incentive to support a political candidate, right? I mean, especially one that had already been elected and was telling you, hey, if you do these things for me, I'll do these things for you. Yeah. And that's fascism, man. That is the government and corporations colluding against the constituency. But everybody's worried about communism. It's all communism, communism this, communism that, at least in this country. And I just think to myself, if you look at the political spectrum as a, as a, you know, a flat plane. Yep. And in the center of, is, of course, the center. And then you have the far, far left communist. And then you have the far, far right fascist, right? That's how it's traditionally broken down. Well, now take that political spectrum and make it a circle. Well, now communism and fascism are right next to each other. Doesn't that work in reality, in your opinion? Oh, definitely. Are, are, are there really that many differences between communism and fascism? I feel like they're telling us, oh, be afraid of the communists. What? I mean, on the, on the right, this, this comes out of the, the conservative media. It's the Marxists, the socialists, the communists. They're coming from us. They're trying to, or they're coming for us. They're trying to overthrow our government. When really it's going to be like a bait and switch. Like, ah, hey, great, great news, everyone. We defeated communism. Here's fascism instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. Like, if you look in the history of anything to do with like communism or fascism or anything, like you get to a certain point, it, it's just two sides of the same coin. And it makes sense, uh, right? Because it's, it's, you know, th this is why communism and fascism are, are on placed on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Because they're at odds with each other. But they're not at odds with each other ideologically. They're at odds with each other because they're saying, no, no, my authoritarianism is better than your authoritarianism. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the reality of a fascistic takeover of the world is, is a, a lot more believable than the reality of, of communism taking over the world. Because wouldn't you agree that there's a lot more evidence of the failures of communism than there are the failures of fascism. Definitely. Uh, de definitely. I mean, fascism is almost a way of life. And if you look at any major country, even the communist ones, which there are very few of, 
they're basically fascist, you know, in the background. And right, that's, plenty that's of insightful. fascist uprisings and empires in history. But communism is very new. Yeah, that's it, a very that's a very new thing. But that's that's actually a pretty brilliant assessment. It's communism is definitely on a spectrum, and maybe that's because it's been practiced more than fascism. But I really do believe that fascism, since the end of World War II, when we allegedly won and Hitler, you know, allegedly killed himself. Fascism has been kind of, it's gone, eradicated from existence, which is exactly what you would want people to believe if you were a devout fascist. I don't know, it's gone. It's no longer a threat. But I really think it's been, it's just been rebranded. It's been rebranded and the people that are too ignorant to know what's going on are starting to call it Marxism and communism. But it's really just, it's the fascist wolf in communist sheep's clothing. Because there are glaring similarities in the things that are going on now with the things that happened in, you know, early 1900s Germany. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, that's a a huge topic to, to broach and... Uh, you know, we'll we'll have to save it for another episode. But I've I've had it chambered because it's it's really interesting to read through. I mean, you have to search so hard to find any information of substance that isn't just towing a political line. Yeah. But I've found some old documents that sort of uh, illustrate the timeline of the rise of fascism and and the rise of Nazi Germany. And it's, uh, it's really interesting. And there are a lot of similarities to, to what we're experiencing now. But that will have to wait for another episode. So I will invite you to visit Vox404.com. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Follow the podcast on XFKA Twitter at EarthVox. Follow my co-host at 404Missing underscore link. And we do have a Discord server that we're trying to expand and uh, if you would like to join the conversation in our discord server send an email to the real earth at protonmail.com yeah thanks for joining us uh, again this week another fantastic episode in which we got a banger extremely uh deep into ai stuff which i was not expecting to do that that far death and quantum computers and talking about politics and all kinds of bits and pieces uh, it's, it's been a real whirlwind today and uh, the last episode as well is just awesome. So after you finish this one, you need to switch over and go straight to the next one because it's another really, really solid episode. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>